Well, I'm going to finish uh, 7 and 8 of John today, this third week. I could spend a lot more time on it, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get bogged down. I want to uh, cover it but thoroughly, but not get bogged down in it. We're in chapter 8, verse 21. And uh, uh, everybody have lesson 17. I handed these out last week, and I did not get to them. Uh, but if you don't have, uh, uh, we'll give one to Miss Ruby. Does anybody else need lesson 17? We're going to start with verse 21, and then I have a an aspiration to finish this chapter. <coughs> Good luck. Chapter 8, verse 21. Uh, remember what we've said. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. It's given during the uh, Feast of uh, Tabernacles. We're studying 7 and 8 together. And the emphasis is that Jesus is the rock from which the children of Israel, uh, uh, which the rock typified the, the wilderness wanderings in the children, with the children of Israel. And then also He's the light that was uh, uh, emphasized during the Feast of Tabernacles with all the lights and the lamps. And Jesus is, is uh, told the people He's the light, which is the second of the I Am's. Then we're going to get to verse 21. and uh, uh, Let's read this real quick. Uh, Austin, if you'll read 21 through 30. Uh, if Sheila, if you'll read 21 through 40. And Rusty, if you'll, uh, 42 through, uh, 42 through 47. And then Melanie, if you'll, uh, finish it up. Uh, we'll read this real quick and we're going to be looking as, uh, as Jesus further, uh, uh, uh costs and he, uh, uh, explains himself to his rejectors, and then we're going to see, uh, really the focus is going to be the difference between Abraham's seed and Satan's seed, and we'll talk about that in good detail. So, carry on, son. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will see me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He says to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So he said to him, So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And He was saying these things, as He was saying these things, many believed in Him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen my father, with my father. 
Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is my father. And Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, you do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come from. I'm not reading right. Yeah. 41. Oh, 41. I skipped one, sorry. You were doing the deeds of your father, they said to him. We're not, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. I proceeded forth. I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are the Father. You are of your Father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your Father. He was a murderer from the beginning does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason, you do not hear him because you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. A demon. Abraham died, did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Okay, Jesus continues this discussion. Remember chapter 7 and 8 is the crescendo of the opposition to Him. Chapters 1 through 12, largely about the difference between those who accept Christ and those who do not. Chapters 1 through 12 is is filled with rejectors and unbelievers of Christ. Chapter 7 and 8 is the... the, uh, 
is the top, the, the, the final understanding of hatred that they have towards him. They hate him. They want to kill him. They reject his teaching 7 and 8, bring all this to crescendo, and it has showed the difference between them and God's real people. And we're going to get into that in great detail. But Jesus, it says in verse 21, again, again he is pursuing this this rejection of him, and he is explaining himself in 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 honor and humility and in great patience with the people. So it says again, Jesus talks to these uh, to these people, and he speaks in an enigma. Do you know what an enigma is? It's similar to a parable. It's similar to a riddle. Why does Jesus do that? It's prophesied in in Psalm seventy eight two. Uh, I will read it. Uh, don't have to uh, go there, but Psalm seventy-eight two tells us uh, the psalmist says, uh, "I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings of old." Uh, Jesus came to fulfill that. He speaks in enigma and he speaks in parables. Why does he do that? He didn't, the people ask him a question as they are rejecting him. He says, I'm going to go away and you're going to seek me. You're going to die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. The Jews thought he was talking about he's going to kill himself. They had no understanding that this was a spiritual statement. They always thought in the physical. That's why they could never understand where he was from. They were only thought in the physical. Their minds thought only physically. So Jesus speaks to them in this enigma, in this way that is uh, hard to understand, and it did stimulate discussion. So that's one of the reasons he spoke in an enigma, to stimulate discussion. Now, their discussion was wrong, and what they were thinking was borne out. Jesus, as the master teacher, often brings up conversation to get to the hearts of people so that the people, He would show them their hearts. Again, He does that. So He speaks in this enigma. He says, I'm going to go away. Why didn't He say, like we understand, He? I'm fixing to die on the cross, I'm fixing to rise from the cross, and I'm fixing to ascend to My Father where I came from. He didn't speak that way because this people wouldn't have understood Him anyway and He wanted to stimulate discussion among the people. And we understand that is a fulfillment of Scripture from Psalm 78.2, and it is also a, it is a prophecy of Isaiah 6. Remember when Isaiah is standing before a theophany, the very presence of God, his robe fills the train of the temple. He stands before God and he says, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And he bows before him. And you see the picture of the purification necessary to be in God's presence. And then God speaks to him and he says, Who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, Send me. And what does God tell Isaiah? And we see this, one of the reasons why Jesus speaks in parables the way he does. He says in 6 9, Isaiah, go tell this people, Isaiah. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes, ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return and be healed. Because they have hardened their heart against God for 
Hundreds of years back and forth, rebellion, uh, turning to idols. They're basically, God is going to harden their heart. He's going to give them ears that won't hear. He's going to give them eyes that won't see. And so Jesus, as He speaks to parables, is doing the same thing. Uh, look at Matthew 13, the book on parables, I mean the chapter on parables. As uh, Jesus speaks this whole chapter in parables, He explains Himself again the reason why He speaks in parables. And it is a judgment on the people's rebellion and their willful ignorance of what He says. Look what He says. And there's going to be a difference between God's people and, 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 uh, and those who aren't God's people. Look at Matthew 13, 11. The disciples say, Why do you speak to them in parables? He said, 13, 11, Matthew, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it hasn't been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and him will, he will have abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see. And then he quotes from Isaiah 6, Verse 9. And look at the difference. Look at verse 16. But blessed is your eyes, blessed of God, given to you by the work of the Father. You have the ability to see and your ears hear. And then so we see the reason he speaks to them in parables is to fulfill the Scripture. And because they are hard-hearted, he further hardens their heart. And so Jesus speaks to them enigmatically and in parables because they willfully reject Him and His truth. So Jesus speaks this way, and He is trying to teach them spiritual lessons. And one of the things He, 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 he spiritually teaches them is that there are going to be, and there is, two destinies for mankind, as I have in my notes. He uses the discussion to stimulate this discussion, and he says, and this is going to be the gist of the lesson, there are two destinies for mankind. There's the rejecters of me, which you guys are, and there are those who believe in me, which are my disciples, and which is the church which is going to come about. And so he is distinguishing that there are a difference of destinies in mankind. And so the rest of this chapter is going to be showing us the great differences starting at Abraham, leading to us the church, and he's going to explain the differences between the two. And so uh, he does say that, and he says the only way, look at verse uh, 21, I'm going away, you'll seek me, and you'll die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? The Jews had a tradition you read about it in Joseph's Antiquities. The Jews believed, like the Roman Catholics believed, that 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 uh, suicide was the cardinal sin, and uh, if you kill yourself, uh, you have no hope for eternity. And the Jews, by tradition, taught that. So he, they thought, will he kill himself? Where I go, you cannot come. They didn't understand that. And then Jesus distinguishes. Uh, uh, between the rejectors and the believers, because he says, you're from beneath, I'm from above, you're of this world, I'm not of this world. Therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe, you will die in your 
sins. So there is a distinction between God's people and, which we're going to talk about later, the seed of Satan or the seed of the devil. So Jesus starts this conversation. It goes throughout the rest of the chapter. And he speaks in an enigma to teach valuable lessons and spiritual lessons. So we see uh, some of these things. First of all, he says, uh, you do not believe. He says, where I go, you, I'm going to do these completely different from the notes because... Uh, uh, I thought about this, and I want to organize it a little differently. MacArthur said, Jesus' statement that where I go you cannot come and you are still in your sins, the evidence of that is in four different ways, and we're going to see these four different ways. They were self-righteous. How were the, the Pharisees and the Jews self-righteous? What were they looking to uh, to accredit them righteousness as opposed to what God looks to. What? Tell me about the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the Jews. Feel free. What was some of the ways in which they were self-righteous? What are some of the ways in which men today are self-righteous? And these give evidence that we're not His, and they will keep us in our sins and keep us from going where He's going. Work-oriented. They believed falsely that if they would just keep the law, then they would be okay. They believed that God came to them exclusively and that they were His because of their physical descent and because of their past heritage. And they believed that the law saved them. They were ignorant of the fact that they did not keep the law. They tried to keep it. In a lot of ways, they did keep it. And when we get to the fact where they're going to stone Jesus, when they raise up stones, they were actually keeping the law. Because the law said, if you blaspheme, you should be stoned. So they were literally taking the law. So when it says uh, that Melanie just read... Uh, 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 We see that they're going to try to stone him two different spaces here. Uh, We're going to see uh, that they try to stone him twice in a few verses here because they are literally fulfilling the law, but they were work-oriented. What else? They were self-righteous in their ways because they were work-oriented. Any other ways they're self-righteous? They were prideful because of their lineage. Do you know people like that today? My daddy was a preacher. My mother was a prophet. They kind of thought they were blue bloods. Blue bloods. Because of Abraham. Yes. They were prideful. And they thought that their backgrounds and their heritage would save them. They thought they were the only ones given the law and that they adhered to the law. And they were, because of that, they were very legalistic. But God taught them through His Son Jesus that it's not the legalism, it's not the outward conformity of the heart, it's the inside of the heart, right, that matters. 
And he taught them it's not the legalistic outward, but it's what is involved in the heart. He said this is sounds good on the outside. It is it is painted like a tomb and it's white and it's pretty, but inside is what? Dead men's bones. And so he he hated their self righteousness and their work oriented and their pride. Anything else about self righteousness that the Pharisees were guilty of? But you said it better. Knowledgeable in the mind, but not in the heart. Not in the heart. And God wants the heart to be changed, and only the heart can be changed by His grace, right? As He works in your heart. So they were self-righteous, they were work-oriented, they were prideful, they were knowledgeable in the mind, but not in the heart. Anything else? They change God's word to feel good. Boy, oh boy. Do we do that? Do we do that? Do we read Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, and then we shut the book and we entertain the people, as a pastor said today? Does his word have any place in our heart? It doesn't. It doesn't. So they were self-righteous. He predicts his departure, and he's and they were not believers because they were self-righteous. And then he said they did not believe. He said, if you do not believe that what? What do you have to believe? What does he say in verse verse twenty-four? He said, you do not believe that what? That I am. The He is added. It is not in the original. Jesus is saying, you need to believe that I am. I'm God. I am the self-existent, self-sustaining One that was first mentioned in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Yahweh. In the beginning, Elohim. The God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I am of the, I am that I am of the burning bush. Jesus says, you must believe. Not only have a mental assent, but you must have a heart response in faith to who I am and that I am who I say I am. I am the bread of life. I am light, and I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's going to continue to emphasize who he is. And he always appealed to their... They thought they understood the Scripture. So when he says that I am, he is appealing to their their supposed understanding of the Scripture. Look where else he... Let's look in Isaiah. Everybody turn to Isaiah. He says, you must believe that I am. And so he uses this to teach them Scripture that they thought they understand. Look at Isaiah 43.10. Look at verse 10 and 13. Look at 46.4. Look at 48.12. 
And then again to the law that they are so claimed to know and understand. He again points them to the own law. And so let's read these verses. You've got to believe that I am. I'm the I am of the burning bush and I'm the I am of Isaiah. Who's got 43, 10, and 13? And notice the exactness of the Scripture to exactly what He says. I am He. Who's got 43, 10, and 13? Isaiah. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before He, before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. I, even I, am the Lord. And in Isaiah, He's the servant. He's the I am of God the Father. He's a servant. Who's got 46.4? Notice the same verbiage that Dan just read. I am. I am. Who's got 46.4 of Isaiah? Even to your old age I will be the same. Even to your gray hairs I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. And I will bear you, and I will deliver you. His provision, He's the I Am. Who's got 48.14? 48.12, excuse me. 48.12. Even Israel whom I called, I am He. I am the first. I am also the last. He's the I am. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha, the Omega of the Revelation. He is the fulfillment of Scripture, the culmination of Scripture. He is what Scripture is all about. I am. You must believe that I am not a... Just a man, I am not just a prophet. I am God. And I, as God, demand you to believe me and trust me. And I call you from your legalism. I call you from your pride and your blue-bloodism and your lineage and your head knowledge. And I call you to saving faith in me. I am God. And if you do not have saving faith in me, you are still in your sins. And then who's got 32-39 as he lovingly chastens this stiff-necked and hard-necked people. All day long I stretch forth my hand to a stiff and a hard-necked people. God says repeatedly in the Scriptures, I reach out, I stretch out my hands to you, but you would not believe. Who's got 32-39? Deuteronomy. exclusiveness of His claims. I am God and there is no other God like Me. I am God. One God, three persons. I am God. He calls them to believing and trusting in Him. Everybody, everybody pretty clear on Jesus as He speaks this to stimulate the discussion because they're hard-hearted people. But He has a heart for these people. He loves these people. As He stands in Jerusalem before He's crucified, what is, how does He react? What does He do? As He stands the day before His death, bear His death, what does He do? What does He say? Does everybody remember that Scripture? 
I reach out my hands. And he weeps over Jerusalem. He loves his people. He does. But they're a stiff-necked and hardened people. And he says, you must believe that I am. If you do not believe that, you are still in your sins. So we see that. Uh, and then we have another point here. We said that the wages of sin is death. He says, look what he says. He says, I'm going away. You'll seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And then they say, where are you going? And I cannot come. And he says, you're from beneath. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I in him, you will die in your sins. So he says... Unbelief leads to dying in your sins. And what does that mean? And how do we distinguish what he says, the physical from the spiritual? When he says you're going to die in your sins, what is he telling the people? This is separation from God. This is not only physical death, but it is more importantly, it is a spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death. Yes, there's a physical death, but the most important thing, and what he is telling them, and what he's trying to, to stimulate this discussion, he's pointing to the spiritual instead of the physical. He's saying, you cannot, you are still in your sins, you will die in your sins. And he's talking about separation from God. And that separation is eternal. And that separation is permanent. You remember the uh, parable of the rich man and the poor man. And the rich man lives sumptuously all his life. And the poor man uh, lived a horrific life of poverty and shame, and the rich man dies, and he goes to heaven. In that parable, what does is, what is the parable teach? He said there is a what? Great gulf fixed. And this gulf fixed is the separation between God and man, and that can only be bridged by the person and work of the mediator, Jesus Christ. So he says, you're still in your sins, you're going to die in your sins, because there's a spiritual, there's a gulf that's fixed. And uh, we must learn from this as he lovingly tells these people, you're going to be separated forever in eternity, and it is spiritual and not just physical. And so he teaches us. Yes, ma'am. <coughs> Yes. Yes. Jesus challenges and He offends. And the offense is purposeful. And there is an offense in the Gospel, right? And He came to separate father from son and mother from daughter. And He came to not bring peace but a sword and it, the exclusive claims of Christ are very offensive. And He did it purposefully. The, the people, when you're self-contented, they were content where they were. They didn't need. They had no need for God. They were happy where they were. 
Self-contented, part of being self-righteous. Yes. So they were self-righteous, they didn't believe. When he says they're earthbound, what did he mean? When he said, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. What are some of the things, what do we talk about? He said they were earthbound. They're worldly. What does world mean in this connotation? Ruled by Satan. Ruled by Satan. I like MacArthur's definition, exactly what Dan said. Uh, as a matter of fact, Dan did it a little more, uh, little more specific. He said it's a spiritual system of evil that's dominated by Satan. And all it offers in opposition to God, His Word, and His people, which is 1 John 5, 9. So Jesus says, you're worldly. You are dominated by the system that Satan has put forth. You are, you are dominated by the prince of the power of this area. You are worldly and of this world. Yes, ma'am? I just They're self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Don't need God, but they're worldly. And so he said they're earthbound, and that is what they ensured they're still in their sins. And they, and in the, as in in Sally has said three times now, they're, but because they love the world. They love the world system. They love the way it is. They're content in it. And that's the way it is with those who are lost. And that's why the Scripture says, Love not the world system. Neither the things that are in the world. The problem is they love darkness. And they don't come to the light and they don't like the night because the light because they don't want their deeds exposed. So they love the world. And so Jesus is telling the Pharisees, the unbelievers, telling us his church today, don't love the world system. It's not any different than the growth churches today. The ones that are growing simply because they don't want to hear what Jesus was saying. You know, they they wanted to be nice and they don't want to think of Jesus as carrying a sword that he loved everybody and everything's just wonderful. No suffering. No suffering. That's right. Hey God. Yes, sir. Also about loving the world, I think some people might get a little confused with thinking that that means that it's a great, wonderful place, but it could also be a trap. And shall we say the complaining of the world? So it, it, it's not just a matter of everything is good and hunky dory, as much as it also could be um, you're getting sucked into the perpetual stream of this is what's wrong and we have to revolt. This is what's wrong and we got to stand against it. This is what you need to believe. This is why you need to believe it. So. That also, I think, is an example of loving the world because you're following what the world is dictating to you. Absolutely. You the culture. What does it say? The love not the world, neither things in the world. He the love of the world, the love of the Father is not him. All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of, and the pride of life. Not of the Father, but of the world. But the world passes the way and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You are earthbound. You love the world. I'm calling you out of this world. And the scary thing about these guys is they had a form of godliness, what they thought was godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They were they were following all the rules and the, the things that they thought they were supposed to do. 
God's interference, they have no intellect concerning spiritual matters. And I, I'm convinced that the majority of the churches in our country today would be offended by the teaching of John the way you're doing it. And it would be, well, it, true, but that, that would only mean it is true, right? They not only are offended, they unstop, they stop their ears and they run toward you and they call you all kinds of bad names. Been there, done that. <laughs> Willfully ignorant. They had a form of godliness, as my dear bride says. They knew intellectually about God, but... So we see MacArthur's Ensure they're still in their sins, their self-righteousness, their unbelief, their earthboundness. They're willfully ignorant. And Jesus says three times, you're still in your sins. They're willfully ignorant. Look at 25. Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning for three years, I've been telling you. The prophets have been telling you for 2,000 years. But you are willfully ignorant. I've been telling you from the beginning. That I am He, that I am not from, a, from the earth, I am from above. I came to do my Father's will. He's been telling them this and telling them this. Yet they still do not believe. And we'll talk about that in a second. And then He says, as, he, as uh, we have this, we have this. Everybody got this? This is sort of different from the notes. Anybody have this? When Jesus predicts His departure... And he confronts them in their ignorance and their willful misunderstanding of him. He then shows again that he's God by the cross. He tells them again about the cross. He says, I'm going to go away, you'll seek me and you'll die in your sins, or where I go you cannot come, speaking to His ascension and His uh, back to the Father. In verse 27, when you lift up the Son of Man, still speaking enigmatically and in parables because they're hard in their hearts, He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And so the cross is going to be the final evidence... And the proof, Where are you reading, verse 28, oh, 28 okay. final evidence in the proof of His claims. The cross is the final word who God is. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. What did many say when it got dark? For three hours, and the earth shook, and the earthquake came, and the temple was torn from top to bottom. What did some say? Truly, this was the Son of God. And so the cross is the final evidence and proof of his claims. And when he rose from the dead, he is who he says he is. And the Father was with him, he never left him, he never forsook him. And now we're going to look at verse... I really want to spend 
most of the last bit we have here on the difference between, and the rest of this is going to be the difference between Abraham's seed and then we have Satan's seed. And then I'm going to basically, since it's hard to do this on a... uh, on when you're typing it, I'm going to list Abraham's seed and I'm going to list Satan's seed. There's struggle, they're fighting, they don't believe. And then you get to 31. Verse 30, very, very comforting to us. Many believed. Many rejected Him. Many believed. Jesus' words... And they're saved. And then He speaks to those who believe. Look at what He says in verse... Many believe in verse 30. Despite of all the differences, many believed in Jesus' words. And look what verse 30, 31 says. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him. So now the rest of the time there's going to be a distinction between Abraham's seed and Satan's seeds. Satan's seed. We see that. So he says to them, Jesus said to those who believe, so the first distinction we see is that they believe and those who are of Satan's seed don't believe. Then he said to those who believe, and there's going to be a distinction. Later he's going to get in Abraham's seed, Satan's seed. It starts in verse 31. This is going to go 31 to 58. We're going to see these distinctions. And the first distinction is Abraham's seed will believe. Satan's seed don't believe. And then the second one, we see it right off the bat. And the distinction for those who believe, those who believed, Jesus speaking to those who believe, if you abide in the Word. So those who are of Satan's seed... Uh, Abraham's seed will abide in the Word. What Terry talked about today, we celebrate 40 years in this church, abiding in the Word. So Jesus said, those who believe, if you abide in My Word, you are disciples indeed. And you know what a disciple simply is? Is a learner and a follower. And we, as the body of Christ, are instructed to teach people to be followers of Christ, as we ourselves are followers of Christ. So those of Abraham's seed, they believe, they abide in the Word, and they are disciples. They disciple, they learn, and they follow the Master, Jesus Christ. So he says, whoever believes will abide in my word and you are my disciples if you abide in my word. Like what it says about uh, be on point two. The evidence of true belief is abiding in the word. True believers continue habitually in Jesus' words and hold fast to obey and practice Jesus' teaching. So if you are a true follower of Christ, you're going to abide in the Word. That speaks of, that speaks of uh, uh, 
endurance, finishing what He has started in you. You're abiding in the Word. You're obeying the Word. And you are trusting in the Word. And you are resting in the Word. All of these adjectives describe your reaction to the Word. And my question to me and to you on this 40th anniversary of our church, are you continually abiding in the Word? Start today. If you're not, if you've fallen away, if you've not trusted, if you've not rested, abide in the Word. A characteristic... Living and written word. And we'll give you your little credit there. We got Sally. The living and the written word. I'll put your name and lights on the board if you say something worthy to quote right down. So we are abiding in the written word and we are in the living word, Jesus Christ. Disciples or learners and followers who endure, obey, trust, and rest in His Word. So we understand that. The truth. And so as a consequence of abiding in the Word, what's the next thing He says? The truth will set you free. And we're going to talk about this in a second. The truth, I like what MacArthur says, is not only, uh, this is point C, the truth is not only the facts surrounding Jesus, but the teaching He brought in. The truth encapsulates who Jesus is. John 14, 6, when we get to that fifth I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the living, as Sally has said, the truth, the Word of God the teachings of God, and God Himself set you free, right? Set you free. The truth shall make you free. And then the unbelievers who are part of this group, maybe the believers as they are very, very infantile in their belief, they need to grow in faith and understanding. Look at their response. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone, how can you say you'll be made free? Again, spiritually infant people, they have a little faith seed planted in them, and they are believing, they're still thinking physically. And in their response to Jesus, they make an incredibly inaccurate statement. We have never been in bondage to anyone. Really? Remember Egypt? Remember Assyria? Remember Babylon? Remember Rome, which you're currently in bondage to them? So they still, even with this little seed of faith, this grain of mustard seed, those who believe still need to grow. And they say, they make this ridiculous statement, we've never been in bondage to anybody. So how can you say, we're going to be set free? Again, Jesus patiently teaches them. He's not talking about physical bondage to a owner. He's talking about spiritual bondage to Satan. 
Look what he says. We haven't been bound by anybody. We've never been in bondage. Then Jesus explains it. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. So Jesus says... You gotta believe, you gotta abide in my word, then you'll be my disciples and your followers of me, and my word and my life will set you free. And he's talking about setting just free from the dominion and the power of sin. Is what he's talking about. He's not talking about physical ownership of another person of another person. He's talking about, I'm talking about the spiritual. And my words, my life, my death, burial, and resurrection is going to set you free from the dominion and the power of sin. We turn from it to God. And that's one of the reasons He died to set us free from the power of sin. And He has given us, this is an amazing verse, and I know you know it. And it's not a commandment, it's a promise to us as people. Who knows Romans 6.14? 6.14. Don't everybody quote it at once. If you didn't learn anything from today, I want you to memorize this Scripture. This is a promise, an indicative promise to all of His people. For sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. The truth sets you free from the dominion of sin. Now, what does it mean under the dominion? We're not going to be, we're freed from the dominion of sin. Well, if I'm freed from the power of dominion of sin, why do I struggle with sin every day? Do you ask yourself that question? What does it mean, this indicative promise that the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul, sin will not have dominion over you? It's not a command. It's an indicative promise. What does that mean? How does it tie in the truth setting you free? Yes. That's a Bible verse, Rachel. That's very good. Dominion, power. Everybody understand this. Jesus is speaking to the depths of their hearts. He's speaking to these new believers that have come to fresh trust in Him. And He's teaching them. And He's telling them there's going to be a great difference between Abraham's seed and Satan's seed, which we're going to get to in a second. And the truth is going to set you free. And when He sets you free... We're no longer under the, the, 
the we're no longer unable to say no to sin. When you're in your sin nature, you are in bondage to your will. We're going to get into this in a second. Uh, Jesus said to this, and it's the most startling scripture, and I learned this, and I thought, how in the world can Jesus say this? And he says, Ye are of your father the devil, and his will you're going to do. How can he say that? I've been taught all my life in Baptist church that you got a free will. No, you don't. We're going to get into that in a second. You have you don't know any better unless you know the truth and you are in bondage to your nature, right? We're going to get into this as we open this up and Jesus is going to describe what it means to be a part of Abraham's seed and Satan's seed. But one thing as we go through this chronologically, you're no longer under the power of sin. When we I struggle with my own people in my family and I and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, and I just remember, that's how you used to be, Don. Why does my family, stru- my, my daughter struggle so much with this? Why? Because that's the way I used to be. And it's easy to forget that was 40 years ago. But there is an inability. And you are under minion, and you, you obey your nature, right? And so we have mercy on our fallen, on our loved ones, and we have mercy on those who are lost, and we have compassion, and we teach them, and we encourage them, and we pray that God will give them faith and release them from this dominion of sin. And we know that He's the only one who can. And we know that left left to their own natures, they're going to do what their flesh tells them to do, and that's all they can do. And so we are merciful because we remember I was dead in trespasses. Their way. Yes. I don't want to say this. Now, I am too. In all my, my own life, it were not for the Word of God and His Spirit. I would still be more dominated by sin. I still am, but it's that's the teacher to us to live the life that Christ wants us to live. Is to be dominated by the word and by you and to be under his word and under his spirit in his life. And this this promise of Romans six fourteen as at the end of a section that helps us to understand our role in being in not being dominated by sin. And this is a role that we must cooperate in. We must not yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. And we have that ability and that new desire because God has put that in my in our hearts. So if I was previously dominated by lust, I don't have to be dominated by it anymore. Yes, He does. Yes, He does. But He gives you the new desires where I don't have to look at that, or I don't have to do that, or I don't have... Like like, like Paul said, you were once... Uh, you, you caroused in the night, and you're filled with dissipation, but God changes you. And so no longer you do not have to yield to what your flesh wants to do, and you are given a new nature. You serve a different master now. 
You serve a different master. So, Abraham's seed, Satan's seed. Now, That's right. The Spirit of God creates that desire and ability, right? It's His power. And if you think you you can do that on your own, and you're trying to do that on, you're trying to reform yourself, what does the Scripture say? You, 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 you sweep your house clean, and what happens to the house after you sweep it clean on your own energy? It becomes seven times worse, right? Yes, everything that Rusty said, everything I've said, is to be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Everybody understand that. And now, Jesus, can you just hear the patience in our Father's and His Son's heart? They're still not getting this, the physical and the spiritual. He said, I know you're Abraham's descendants. I know your lineage. I know your physical Jews. I know all of that. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So now he's again referring to those in the crowd who are believers. And now he's referring to the crowd who are unbelievers. And he starts this dissertation in the difference. He said, Satan, see, they don't believe. And as a consequence that they don't believe, they yield to their own natures. And they want to kill Jesus. Because they are of their father, the devil. And he's a hater. And he hates God. He hates the things of God. And he specifically hates his son, Jesus. And he is from Genesis 3, tried to thwart the work of Jesus, right? He hates. And so he says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. And he says, because my word has no place in you. So there's a difference between the believers... The Word abides. The Word has no place in your heart. A great distinction is made. Does God's Word have a place in your heart? And is it changing you? Is it transforming you? This is the greatest evidence I know that you're one of God's is what the Word does to you. What the Word does to you and how it changes you. And as Andrew Murray said, loving God and loving His Word are two things that cannot be separated. You can't say you love God if you don't love His Word. Because His Word tells us who He is and how He thinks. So if you're not interested in what God thinks or what God says about you, what does that say about you, right? So he says, the Word has no place in your heart because you don't believe. And then look what he says. They answered and said to him, I never, ever should ever attempt to finish anything that I do in here. So again, I'm going to stop because I know stomachs are growling and attention spans wane. And I'm going to start on point... Right here, next time, and I will have lesson 18 done. 
lesson 18 is a beautiful picture of salvation. Born blind, born dead in our trespasses and sin. Jesus sees and Jesus comes. We'll see that. Apologize that I never finish anything, but I thank you for your contribution.